Have you ever thought about how awesome it is to hear? Like right now, there's sound waves that are traveling through the air and those little antenna on the side of your head are capturing that sound and sending it to your brain. Amazing. In fact, if you just look at someone's ear right now, don't be weird about it. Look at someone's ear and just notice its weird shape and design. Don't look too far inside. That's weird. <laughs> but just look at it. Different shapes and sizes and yet... And I also hear too that that's one of the parts of your body that never stops growing. That'll be fun. I'm sure there's going to be ear surgery when Jenner gets along to it. <laughs> ear smalling or uh, would you... Smalling, Yes. Ears are awesome though. Ears are phenomenally cool and they're actually very sweetly designed. I'd like you to watch this really short video. It's, gonna, it's a little silly. I'll give you that. You're going to laugh at the girl, but just watch this really short video to get a sense of how awesome the ear is. Have you ever wondered how sounds make their way from the source? all the way to your brain? Take a trumpet, for instance. When it's played, it makes sound waves in the air. The outer ear catches the waves, which then travel through a narrow passageway called the ear canal. The sound waves reach the eardrum, which is a membrane roughly half the size of a dime. They make the eardrum vibrate, which in turn vibrates three tiny bones called the malleus, incus, and stapes. These bones amplify or increase the sound vibrations and send them to the cochlea. The cochlea is shaped like a snail and is the size of a garden pea. It is filled with fluid and the sound vibrations make this fluid ripple which creates waves. Hair-like structures called stereocilia sit on top of hair cells and are grouped together as hair cell bundles inside the cochlea. The hair cells inside the cochlea ride these waves, and the hair bundles are moved. The hair bundle on top of the hair cell turns these movements into electrical signals. As the hair bundles are moved, ions rush into the top of the hair cells, causing the release of chemicals at the bottom of the hair cells. The chemicals bind to the auditory nerve cells and create an electrical signal, which travels along the auditory nerve to the brain. Different hair cells respond to different frequencies of sound. The hair cells at the base of the cochlea detect higher-pitched sounds, such as a piccolo or flute. The hair cells toward the top of the spiral detect progressively lower-pitched sounds, such as a trumpet or trombone. At the very top, or apex, of the spiral, the hair cells detect the lowest-pitched sounds, such as a tuba. The auditory nerve carries the electrical signal to the brain which interprets the messages as sounds that we recognize and understand. The ear is amazing. Your hearing is amazing. It's such an incredible design. It, it makes you say, oh, wow, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, right? That kind of design. By the way, if you're an evolutionist, at some point, you have to ask, it, what, what part of that process was developed first, second, third? There's, an, a, there's a concept called irreducible complexity, where you look at things like that and say, it's impossible for any step of that process not to be in place in order for the whole thing to work. Who developed hearing first and how did they develop that? Evolutionists, evolutionist, Darwinian evolutionists, have no answer to this. 
We have an, an easy answer. There's an intelligent designer. Uh, the whole process, three tiny bones, and then the hair follicles in your ear that are waving back and forth, and the fluid, and the cochlea, all that. That's amazing. How crazy then would it be to go your whole life and say, I refuse to listen. I'm not going to hear any longer. No more melodies, no more instruments, no more voices. I'm going to stop listening. Jesus is concerned about that in today's text. Not only that you're hearing, but that you're listening, that you're responding correctly to a stimulus. And that stimulus is the word of God. In today's text, we're going to look at four different soils and four different responses to God's word. And just like someone who has the ability to hear and yet is functionally deaf, is unwilling to listen, Jesus is saying there's the type of person, there's actually three types of persons, that are able to hear and yet are functionally, spiritually deaf because they're not responding the way they should respond. Introducing the parable of the soils, it's Mark's second longest teaching section for the gospel of Mark. And this is important because Mark's all about action. He's about what Jesus is doing. He's not so much about long discourses of teaching, but here he spends time. And I imagine it's because of how Jesus starts this. Take, take a look at it with me here. He began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. So you see Jesus in the middle of a lake here, or the sea. He's in, he's in a boat, and he's talking to this massive crowd. Verse 2. And when he was teaching them many things in parables, uh, and he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. Verse 3 is critical. Listen, behold, are two imperatives that he's saying to his audience, pay close attention, take notes, listen closely, because what I'm about to say is more than just superficial stories. At the end of this parable, he's going to say, let him who has ears hear, listen to this. Jesus is about to say something that you and I must pay close attention to. Otherwise, we'll miss the meaning behind it. He carries on. He says, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun came, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seeds fell into good soil, and it produced grain, growing up and increasing, and yielding thirtyfold, and sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears... Let him hear. In other words, it's possible to hear and not really catch what he's doing here. You understand the parable of soils, right? This, the farmer, sower, sowing seeds, different places, different soils. The soils are going to respond in different ways depending on the quality of the soil. Now, what you'll notice here as Jesus is about to explain the parable of the soils is that there's a commonality for each four. See if you catch it. Here's, a, here's how he transitions to that story's explanation. When he was alone, those around him, his disciples, with the twelve, asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you, it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. Why? He quotes Isaiah, that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying, the reason I'm teaching in parables is because, if you remember last week, we talked about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about this same group of people here who are wanting to hear him, wanting to see him, and yet are not having any true interest in responding to him. He says, fine, if you're not going to respond, I'm going to speak to you in parables so that you'll hear, but you won't understand. You'll see, but you won't understand that, that either. It's actually a form of judgment, parables. They're meant to enlighten, but they're also meant to, uh, to judge the people who are unwilling to listen. 
Here's some explanation behind that. John 12, uh, Jesus, when he's saying these things, he departed and hid himself from them, the people. Though he had done so many signs before them, verse 37 is critical, they still did not believe in him. All the signs, all the wonders, all the teaching, and Jesus says people would not believe. They would not believe, verse 38, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Keep verse 37 in mind. They still did not believe. Therefore, verse 39, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. That ought to scare you. That ought to ruffle your feathers a little bit. To so reject God, to so push him away. Again, we're, we're talking about a very similar sin that last week, where Jesus says, fine, you, you no longer can respond because you would not respond. You've understood, you've comprehended, and yet you push me away. Okay. We go back to the parable. He explains the parable to them now, and he says, okay, do you not yet understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path. He's explaining the first one. Where the word is sown, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Second soil. These are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And, when they have, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, they immediately fall away. Next soil. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. This parable of the soils is meant to wake us up to the reality that when we have the gospel preached to us, we're going to respond in one of four ways. And if you're going to be faithful to share the gospel with your classmates, you should expect them to respond in one of four ways. These four ways, uh, only one of them is good. The other three are bad. They, they all have a commonality. They all hear, but only one of them really hears. Only one of them truly hears because that's the one that responds correctly. So what we're going to do is look at these four soils really quickly, and we're going to turn them from a negative description to a positive, what we should be doing about that. It'll make sense in a moment. Follow with me to Mark chapter 4. We're going to put these two verses together. I'm going to put them on the screen for you so you can quickly and easily identify what's taking place here. Here it goes. This is the first soil. This is the path. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Verse 15, he explains it. These are those that were sown along the path where the word is sown, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. What's taking place in this first soil is a great deal of compact, hard, impenetrable soil. The, the seed is being scattered, but it has nowhere to go. And then he goes so far as to say that and, and on top of their unwillingness to hear the word, they're in league with the devil. The devil is coming and helping by taking away the word that is sown to them. There's pride in these people. They're unwilling to listen. They may, they may entertain you for a minute, but uh, overall, what they're going to say is, no, thank you. I don't want your religion. I'm fine by myself. Stop cramming your religion down my throat. I don't want this. Now, who's this talking about? In this text, this is actually talking about the Israelites. The Israelites were the ones who were unwilling to hear Jesus, despite the fact that he repeatedly made uh, efforts to go near them, to talk to them, and say, you need to respond to this. 
The first soil is proud. It's arrogance. It's unwilling to hear. It's compact. It's like concrete, throwing, uh, throwing seed on the concrete. And yet, they're not alone because the enemy himself, Satan, is in league with them, helping them to, to remain hard-hearted. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 tells us that the enemy, the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they do not hear and see. They can't respond because he's blinding their minds. But they're willingly, uh, they're willingly following his lead by covering their hearts with hardness. I don't want your rulership, Jesus. If you don't want to be the first will, you don't want a crop failure, here's the first way to combat that. Number one, you've got to receive the word of God with humility. Instead of uh, rejecting God's leadership, instead of rejecting all that he wants to do in your life, you need to be willing to say, God, I know that I'm hard-hearted and proud. Please help me to be humble. Sometimes pride and arrogance has a natural consequence in life. It's like when, uh, when people tell you, hey, you shouldn't be vaping. You shouldn't be vaping. That's not wise. You're too young. There's a lot of different reasons. We, we think it's healthier than cigarettes, but uh, it may not be. There's not enough studies done on it. You might have heard recently that there's a vape ban. Why? Because people are dying from some mysterious, uh, some mysterious infection of the lungs. Six of them so far, I think. And the FDA is like, hey, we're going to ban all of it and we're going to make sure that you guys can't do this, but they're afraid of the black market because people will inevitably still sell it and use it. This is a good example of what I think pride does. It says, I don't care what the consequences are. I don't care who you are. I want to do this anyway. And for those six people, maybe it was for them. It was like, man, they, they had people in their life saying you shouldn't do this and yet they died. Uh, there's natural consequences to pride, but there's worse consequences for spiritual pride. There's worse consequences for saying to God, I don't want your rulership. I don't want you to lead me. So dangerous, so devastating. The antidote, receive the word of God with humility. How do you know if you're being humble? Well, there's a few factors. This is one way you can approach God with uh, knowing that you're being humble, and that's praying before you receive the word of God. One of the things I would love for you guys to do is to no longer just show up to church and no longer just open up your Bible and just get to it. If you're, if you're doing that much. I would love for you to pray for a soft and tender heart. I'd love for you to pray that God would open your eyes, that you would behold wondrous things out of his law. Psalm 119, 18. We have to prepare our hearts to encounter the supernatural. This isn't common. Can't treat this like any other book. Top of that, you also need to treat it like a treasure. Treat it like treasure. There's a, there's a trend in True North that I, I actually like, but as I say this, I don't, I don't know if your parents would appreciate me saying it, because then maybe you'll want to do this too, but I like it. You'll notice a trend. You ready for this? You, you might have seen it taking place. Maybe you didn't notice it. There's a trend in True North of getting really expensive Bibles, like $200 Bibles. Why? Why are they so special? Well, because they're covered with like calf skin or goat skin or like people skin, I think is one of them. <laughs> There's different kinds. <laughs> and it's great. And I love it because one of the things that it does for you, when you have a really expensive Bible in your hands, it feels different. Like it's soft and the pages are like snowflakes and they're, they're, the ribbons are made from angels' hair, actual angels. I mean, it just feels authoritative. It feels special. And I like that because that changes the way we interact with it, or at least it should. We feel like we're holding an expensive piece of something in our hands, and indeed we are. The Bible is special, and but when we treat it like it's just something else that's common to us, we lose understanding of what, how valuable it is, the, the thing that we're holding. A psalmist said, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The word of God ought to be for us something that we set aside, which is one of the dangers, and I love the Bible app, but one of the dangers of having that on your phone is that it's easy to treat it like any other app on your phone. 
And, and thus, just as easy to get in it, to get out of it, and to, to treat it uh, lowly, to treat it like your Instagram or your TikTok. That's the danger. When we approach God's word, we ought to treat it special. And then we also want to reflect on what we're reading. We can't simply let it just be another thing in our lives. And you ask yourself this question, and okay, we have the time. It's 12.06 right now. 12.06. How many, well, no, let's not do the hands. I don't want to embarrass anybody. If you read your Bible this morning, can you recall what you read? Do you remember what stood out? Can you think about what struck you when you read it? If you read it this, this morning. If you didn't, you could just think about another day. Maybe think about yesterday, if you read your Bible yesterday. What did you read? What stood out to you? If I can be so honest with you, I would say, man, that, that so often I'll, in the middle of the day, I'll just think, what did I read this morning? I knew it. It meant something to me in the moment. I thought about it, but later on, I forget. I forget, and, and I, I want to remember. I desire to have it in me and on me and in my head and heart all day, but I forget. Reflection is meditation. Essentially, we're talking about meditation. We're thinking about God's word and treasuring it, valuing it. One of my favorite apps on my phone is Scripture Typer. It lets me record my own voice, saying a verse, and then I play it back over and over again. When I get up this week, what I've been doing, this week I'll go to the bath. You don't even know the part that's happening in the bathroom. I'll go to the bath, but I'll take my phone with me, not to scroll Instagram, but I'll be playing my own voice, saying a verse or two, just so I can spend time thinking about what it is I'm wanting to remember. It's really awkward and someone else is in the bathroom, but that's okay. <laughs> they can hear me saying the verse and maybe they'll hear, hear something too. It's, it's a matter of being intentional with God's word and treating it special, humbling ourselves before, prayerfully listening to it, responding to it, and doing something with it. This is where, uh, this is where soil number one goes so wrong. The path, compact, hard, unyielding, and unwilling to hear God's word. Study it, memorize it, reflect upon it. Go the extra mile with the word of God. The first soil is proud, stiff-necked, and in league with the enemy. He's enabling them to be, proud, to be proud, wants them to be proud. Second and third soil, though, are a little different because they actually do something with the word of God, but it's not the something they should do. Let's put these verses together on our screen here. This is soil number two, the rocky ground. So the first, the first soil, the path. Second soil, rocky ground. Here it goes. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and so immediately it sprang up. There's probably rocks underneath, and that's why it springs up so quickly. But because it has no depth of soil, when the sun rose, it scorched the plant or the, the, the crop, and since it had no root, it withered away. Jesus explains it in verses 16 and 17, and he says, these are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. There's something that happens. They're excited by this. The gospel sounds great. I want what the gospel is offering. I want the good things. I want the gospel. Or do they? And they have no root in themselves. And we'll talk about what that might actually be. I think I have an idea. But endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on the count of the word, immediately they fall away. The reason this crop failed is because this crop had an understanding of Jesus that was deficient. They want the bennies of Christianity. They don't want the difficulties. And the reason why is because they bought a gospel that was no gospel at all. They bought a gospel about the unicorns and candy canes, but they did not buy the gospel of the cost of following Jesus. You don't want to fail like the second one. You need to count the cost of following Jesus. You need to understand, like everybody else in the world, that coming to Christ might cost you everything. It may cost you even up to your life, your blood, your pride. I mean, everything you hold valuable in this life, God may allow it to be taken away. A small example of this 
comes from the life of Drew Brees, who recently recorded a, a video, innocuous, a video, a video about bring your Bible to school. <laughs> it was, it, it, all he said was, hey, I'm Drew Brees, I'm the quarterback of some team, and what I want you to do is, <laughs> what team is that? That's what I said, the Saints, Drew Brees, quarterback of the Saints. I want you to bring your Bible to school, read it, it's awesome. That's it. I'm Drew Brees. I'm amazing. Signing off. But after this video was released, soon there was a Twitter, there was a Twitter feed of people saying, he needs to go away, get him off the team. We need to protest this guy. We need to make sure he never makes an appearance in the NFL again. I mean, just calling for the, 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 the worst of the worst. Like, let's get rid of this guy. And he's one of the most famous quarterbacks in all time. Arguably one of the best. But people wanted him off the team. They wanted him out of publicity, out of media. Why? Because of who he partnered with. The people that he recorded the video with is Focus on the Family. And they're known for being a conservative family ministry that focuses on the marriage of one man and one woman under the purview of God. And of course, a lot of people didn't like that. And so they called for him to resign. They called for him to be taken out. He recorded a video saying, sorry that you were offended by this. Uh, you know, I, I love all people. I follow the commandments, love God, love others. I didn't say what you think I said. Please, you know, don't get me fired. Something like that. <laughs> He's equivocating. And I felt bad for the guy because I thought that's exactly what's going to happen to all of us. If we want to be faithful to God, we need to count the cost of following Christ, which essentially, let's, let's just say it that way. Expect obedience to be costly. Expect obedience to, to cost you something. I was watching, uh, not watching actually, I heard uh, the news reporter recently about this, this show called The Bachelorette. There's a guy on The Bachelorette who said to the gal, like, hey, I want to be sure that you're not going to have sex with these other guys. I'm a Christian and, you know, I have history, but God has forgiven me my sin. But I would love for you to let me know if we're going to go forward together as potentially husband and wife, I would like to know that you're not going to have sex with these other guys during fantasy night. And she responded very maturely and very bravely, not at all, right? If you know about the story, she flipped a lid and she got really offended and said, how dare you tell me what to do with my body? I'm a Christian too, and yet I do fill in the blank, A, B, C, and D. I'm a Christian. How dare you call me, you know, how dare you challenge my faith? I'm going to do what I want to do. And everyone applauded. Yeah, you go, girl. You tell that guy. And what an intolerant, bigoted, hateful man, dude, that this guy is. He's an evil jerk. Man, dude, is the proper tech, tech word. <laughs> my point, he wanted to be obedient. I don't know the guy. I don't know his testimony. I don't know anything about what he believed. I just, what he said and how she responded. Culture applauded her and said, you go, girl. The culture looked at him and said, you're an idiot. You're disgusting. You're despicable. You should not even be in public. You shouldn't be in public. You don't deserve to be part of our community because you're such an idiot. I thought, wow. All because he wanted to hold to a biblical ethic of sex and marriage. I mean, granted, he wasn't very articulate about it, but it's going to cost you something to be obedient to Christ. It's going to cost you something. But I want to make it a point here. When you're thinking about the cost, you have to remember that you've got to be prepared to lose everything in this, this life. You, think, you have 100 years at most, probably, right? You have 100 years, young person. You've got, well, you're 13 to 16, 18 right now. You have 100 years. That's it. And then when you die, you get to spend the rest of your eternal existence reaping the harvest of whatever you did in this life. And so whatever sacrifice you get to make in this life counted as nothing. Martin Luther wrote a song. He said, he said let goods and kindred go. Let the stuff that you have and the people that you have be willing to say, I, I, I can let that go. 
He says, let your mortal life also let go. Let go of your life. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. This kingdom, your life, what you got right now, 100 years. That's all you get, 100 years. Compare that 100 years to the rest of eternity. What makes more sense? I would much rather die in this life and gain Christ than to live in this life and lose my eternal existence with Christ. Jesus said the same thing. What does it profit? A man, a girl, a boy. To be AP, to be the, US, uh, the ASB president, to be Ivy League, to have the best house, to have everything you've ever wanted in this life and yet lose your soul. Count the cost. Count the cost. And remember that when you lose everything in this life, it's only this life a short handbreadth of days, you will soon die. And so any sacrifice you make in this life is well worth the cost, well worth the price of admission because what you get is your sins forgiven. You get to be with Jesus Christ, the one you were made to magnify. The second soil does not count the cost. He or she responds quickly to a gospel, but it's not the gospel. This second soul doesn't see the gravity of their sin. They just see the joy of a short-lived emotional experience that comes with becoming a Christian, in air quotes. Third soil also responds. First soil is the path. Second soil is the rocky ground. The third soil is the thorns, right? So P-R-T. Verses 7 and 8, excuse me, verse 7 and the verses 18 and 19. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Jesus explains what this means in verses 18 and 19. He says, others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Did you catch the three things that devastate this crop? Did you catch it? Look again, verse 19, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things. Essentially, you could narrow this down to stuff, stuff, materialistic stuff gets in the way of this harvest. Instead of it growing and being productive and fruitful, stuff draws it away and says, you don't want this. Come on, you can't be a Christian. You can't be wealthy like you want to be. You can't have all the things in this world that you desire if you're going to be a Christian. What a kill. Come on, let's do this other thing. Young person, love for the world is one of the greatest temptations. I mean, really, for all of us? Let's just say, all, I was going to say you, but all of us? Love for the world? It's powerful. It's intoxicating. feels good. I mean, think about this. If I said to you right now, get, here, here's, a, here's a million dollars. What do you want from me, Pastor? Give me your eyeballs. Give me your eyeballs. Or no, here's a million dollars. Give me your hands. I'm going to chop off your hands. I want to use them and harvest them. Would you let me buy your hands for a million dollars? Probably not. Probably. So, so a couple weirdos out there might say yes. Most of you would say no, because you should. And yet, our souls, which are so much more valuable than our hands and our eyeballs, are willing to sell for a bowl of soup like Esau willing to lose our souls in order to have these, uh, these comforts and these temporary pleasures and joys. All these things are meant to be distractions. That's why point number three is to stay focused on eternal matters. Focused. Focused. 
eternity is so easy to lose sight of because the, all the distractions that we have available to us in this life. Apple's, uh, one of Apple's latest events, they unveiled a new product that they're unleashing to all of humanity, to our detriment, I suppose. Uh, it's called Apple Arcade. You guys heard of that? It's for $5 a month. You get access to a, a library of 100 games and growing. All you can eat games. 100, 100 some odd games for five bucks a month. I thought, that's, I'm not against games. I'm not against games. We have an Xbox at home. Not against games. But I wonder how many hours we would be tanking into this. Easy distraction. You know, you're, you're waiting for something, pop open Apple Arcade. You're, you're bored, pop open Apple Arcade. Or maybe not Apple Arcade. Maybe, maybe you're the kind of person who opens up Netflix first. Or, or maybe your family accounts at Hulu. Maybe you guys like Hulu. You like the shows on that. Or maybe you're like most of us and you open up YouTube and you watch the latest video from so-and-so. You know? It's easy to, to demonize these things and I'm not intending to do that. My purpose is, is nuancing this. These things are good gifts in God's good favor. But remember that every hour you spend on Netflix is an hour of life you'll never get back. Choose wisely. <laughs> Choose wisely. Every hour you spend on Apple Arcade is an hour of precious life that you'll never get back. You have an account, a limited, uh, defined account of, let's again, 100 years at best. 100 years. That's it. That's all you get. And God is calling us to wisely steward the gifts that he's given us and to stay focused on eternal matters. How do you do that? You got to reprogram your mind you have to reprogram your mind. You've got to stop thinking things that are going to devastate and destroy you. You can't think about life nonchalantly. Of course, not thinking about something is easier than thinking about something. Let me, let me, let me make a point here. I want to get into your head for a second. Okay, let it happen. It's for your good. Okay, ready? Here you go. Do not think about Pastor Lucas wearing a red jumpsuit and a white hat, dancing, shaking his hips, breakdance battle against Pastor PJ, who's wearing a white jumpsuit. He's got on black glasses, and he's got pink bunny ears on. They're dance battling. Don't think about that. Did you think about it? For the few exceptions in the room, most of us can't help it. Like, oh. It's kind of funny to think about Pastor PJ and Pastor Lucas dance battling with, you know, red and white jumpsuits or whatever. But my point is, it's, it's harder to not think about something than it is to think about something. Your job is a Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. To be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How? Put the word of God in your head and heart. Let that change you. Young person, you have to ask yourself over and over again, what's really valuable? What's really valuable? Does it really matter if you're the most popular girl in school? Does it really matter if you get into the school of your dreams and get the career of your dreams? Does that really matter? Is that what's really most valuable? Again, not no value. Is it most valuable? You have to ask yourself, what really matters? Stay focused. Secondly, you've got to uproot, uproot the, the thorns. The the third soil gets distracted, gets choked out by the cares of the world, the riches, the deceitfulness of riches and other things. So the cares of this world, how do you avoid, uh, how do you avoid, how do you uproot the thorns of the cares of this world? You learn to die to yourself. You learn to die to yourself. If you want to avoid the cares of this world, you have to deny yourself. Die to yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow Christ. What about the deceitfulness of riches? Some of you guys, you know, your parents make a lot of money. You're, you probably will make a lot of money someday. Six figures easily, perhaps. 
How do you get rid of the desire, the, the greed that is like tentacles around our heart? How do we get rid of that? I'll give you one word for that. Give. Be generous. Give. It's like sticking it to yourself and saying, I know you're greedy, evil heart, but I'm going to give away this sum of money to, to God's kingdom so that I'm not building my own. Give. You got to uproot the thorns, guys, and it doesn't, it doesn't come without a cost. It's going to be painful. You're going to feel like you're dying to yourself because you are. The third soil has a crop failure because stuff chokes it out. How do you get, avoid that? Reprogram your mind and uproot the thorns. This last soil, this last soil is the only good soil. In verse 20, Jesus says, Those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. 60, 30, 60, and 100 fold. Sorry, that slide is mislabeled there. It should say soil four, the good soil. P, the path. Uh, R, rocky, rocky ground. T, thorns. G, good soil. This last one is different because it hears Jesus, it responds to Jesus, and it grows. Let me just crystallize it for you like this. You've got to be aggressive in sanctification. When you hear God's call for repentance and faith, what that means then is you just say, I get it. I want to deny myself. I want to stop living for myself. And now I'm going to live for you. I want to do what you want me to do. The soil, uh, in some sense, it's all on God to do the growth. But the soil has to be prepared. The soil responds. The soil says, you want me to do this? I'll do that. The soil is doing something. I know I'm stretching this way further than the parable allows, but my point is the soil responds to Christ. It hears and it accepts it. And accepting it means I know what I need to do with this. There's a, a celebrity that reminds me a lot of myself. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I don't even know who I'm talking about yet. <laughs> it's The Rock. <laughs> and it should be obvious. We, we have the same physique, and so he and I, it's the same... The Rock, he has these videos on YouTube where he's like, oh, I want to pump you. Not like Arnold Schwarzenegger pump you up, but he's like these motivational videos about working out and things. And I thought, yeah, that's cool and exciting. And he's, he's, you know, he's a gifted actor and all that. But I see his videos and he's sweating in the gym and he's got chains around his neck, like the manliest of men kind of dude. And then I think to myself, the verse that says, bodily training is of some value, but godliness has, has value for all of life in this life and the life to come. But we should take some notes from The Rock. Not his potty mouth. We should take his work ethic when he gets to the gym. In fact, let's put it like this. You need to strive to grow. You get the word of God. The word is deposited. Accept it and say, what do I got to do with this? How do I respond to this? So many people see the Christian life uh, kind of like a cruise ship. It's supposed to be fun and exciting. And some churches build their programs around the cruise ship mentality. How do we make people comfortable? How do we get people excited and entertained? How do we, you know, maybe we put the, we, we, we create a, a new, what do you call it? What is this? Bumper cars. This is on a cruise ship. We put bumper cars on the cruise ship. We make it so fun and exciting that everybody wants to come. Okay, I'm not against using fun, but the Christian life is not a cruise ship. It's not cushy patty. It's not meant to be rainbows and unicorns. The Christian life is much more like a battleship. Notice there's not a lot of colors on this one. There's not any deck chairs. There's not a place for them to lounge and relax. In fact, there's weaponry on the cruise ship, weaponry that's meant to destroy an enemy. 
It's dangerous. It's metallic. It's cold. It's efficient. It's, it's, it's something that gives you the sense that this is not a toy. And that's the Christian life. It's not a toy. It's not a cruise ship. It's a battleship. And that means for us, we have to be in our wartime mentality all the time. We need to strive to grow, to be ready for what's coming. And here's the thing. We also have to trust God's process. You and I might say to God, why why, why reading our Bible? Why memorizing? Why prayer? Why doing certain things that seem like they're so inefficient? Trust God's process. God knows what he's doing. He's the farmer. He's the one who ultimately sows the word to us. We are are uh, commanded and committed to obey him. Because here's what's happening. We trust his process. We trust his harvest. He builds a harvest. He's the one who grows the plant. If you look at these plants on the stage here, the ones that I've set up all along here, though, Abby did actually, but I told her to do it, so I did it. <laughs> These are grown. Like they, they, someone took the time to prepare the soil, to plant the seed, to water it, and now these are grown. Like there's a prescription, right? You got to have soil, you got to have seed, you got to have water, you got to have sunlight. But did they make it grow? Did they command the seed, grow? You know, were they yelling at it? Did they, did they prod it and poke it? No. Ultimately, God made the plant grow, and the same thing is true with our spiritual lives. Our job is to follow the process. God says prayer, Bible reading, fellowship, all these things, and God causes the plant to grow. The critical distinctive of the fourth soil is that it does what? It bears fruit. It grows. I would love for you, I mean, some of you guys, we only have a few of them, but I'd love for you to take these home as a reminder this week of what kind of soil we should be of letting God's word grow in us. Again, all these other soils, they all respond in different ways, right? The first soil responds, well, it doesn't respond at all. Second soil responds with joy immediately, but then it quickly gets crushed. Third, the third soil has distractions abounding and eventually fails. Only the fourth soil hears the word of God, accepts it, and bears fruit. I would love for you in your own head to answer the question, which soil are you? How are you doing? Do you see your life bearing godly fruit? Do you see in your life love for God, conviction for sin, greater discipleship? The Christian life, the real Christian life, is a fruitful life. It endures, it's humble, it remains focused. If you're listening to this and you have not even taken that first step to be the right soil, remember this, hear the word, accept it, bear fruit. You're on step two, which is accept it. But let me take you back to step one right now. Here's the first word you need to hear. Repent of your sins and turn to Jesus Christ in faith. Remember that you are a sinner. We talked about this as I did the question of the week. But the, the answer is that hell is real and we have one shot. You have one shot. You get one life of 100 years, probably less. You have a shot right now. Do not delay. Do not delay. Don't wait any longer. Stop messing around. Don't trifle with God. For those of you who are believers and you're hearing this message and saying, hey, I'm, I'm soil four. Soil four. I'm, I'm growing, but I'm not growing enough. I need to grow faster. Hey, we, we got to be on our best game here. Remember, it's not a cruise ship, a battleship. There's a job to be done. There's campuses to be won. There's the gospel to be sown. There's people that need to be in our ranks, people that need to come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Some people even in this very room right now who are still dragging their heels and still saying, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. 
The only right response to Jesus is humble listening, humble hearing, and ongoing obedience. How are you doing in that? Let's pray.